I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to the talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. And once again, it's a Friday, no work till Monday. Right. And if you haven't hit that subscribe button on iTunes, well, what are you waiting for, man? Come on. Do me a solid. If you subscribe, I'll do you a solid. You'll never miss an episode ever. TIJ will be waiting for you every Wednesday and Friday morning like a Swiss clock, automatically delivered right to the device of your schwas. Doesn't get any better than that, right? Just wherever you want it to get sent, it will send it right over to you, okay? And while you're subscribing on iTunes and the subscription numbers are getting really high, one of the highest uh, iTunes subscribe podcasts going today, I heard that from very secret uh, sources, but while you're subscribing on iTunes, take a minute and leave us a comment and a five-star rating like the following Talk is Jericho fans did. All right, thanks for taking the time, Claus Cousin, who said Bruce Dickinson, Paul Stanley, and Frankie Benali are his favorite episodes, so he's a rocker. Well, if you like Bruce, stay tuned. I got some more Maiden coming up for you in about two or three weeks, another nice surprise. Who else is giving you Maiden like I can, right? How about Stankamaniac? Wow, loves the Dusty Rhodes impressions that everyone does on my show. Waterwalk, Gordon Boombutts, Basil Lion, Todd Shore, Mr. Wrestling 17, Lupe Roman, and Real Deal 1027, all like the variety of guests. And I thank you for the great feedback. And that's what we do. Diverse and lots of variety is talk is Jericho's uh, nomenclature, nom de plume. And hey, Waterwalk, you are right about the sponsors. They're the reason why I get to do this for free for you guys twice a week. So thanks for supporting Talk is Jericho and the sponsors, my amazing Sexy Beast sponsors. Thanks for the five-star ratings and reviews. And we got a lot of good stuff coming up today. Dean Malenko is going to be here. Kind of a return to form. Uh, he was with me a few months ago on the Eddie Guerrero tribute episode with Chavo Guerrero. But this is Dean on his own. 
And we're not talking about uh, our feud in WCW or his time in WWE. This is early Malenko. We're going to talk about his childhood growing up with his dad, Boris Malenko, who's one of the most feared heels in wrestling history. He's going to tell us what he learned from Boris, traveling around the world with Boris. You hear all about Dean's early career days in Japan, tagging with his brother Joe, what it was like for working, uh, what it was like working for All Japan and New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's got stories about Eddie Guerrero, David Boy Smith, Stan Hansen. It's uh, kind of a, a trip back in time with Dean Malenko. The shooter, Dean Malenko. The Iceman, Dean Malenko. But before we get to Dean, we got the return of my cute, beautiful daughters, Cece and Shy Shy, to talk as Jericho. And they requested to do a, an interview with me to talk about their new YouTube channel. And they wanted to sit down and explain why you need to go check it out, why your kids got, need to go check it out. And as always, very cute and hilarious and fun. So uh, to talk about their new YouTube channel, here's Sierra and Cheyenne Irvin. Okay, so there's a, a new YouTube channel that's sweeping the nation, getting subscribers uh, all across the country. You're signing up for uh, Cece and Shy's vlogs and videos, right? Yeah, yep. that's right. Exactly. And so what gave you guys the idea to start doing your own YouTube channel? Well, before we usually like to watch YouTubers that do Minecraft and mod showcases and vlogs and stuff. And well, before we each had our own YouTube channel. Yeah. And so I thought, why not make a YouTube channel? At first, got to know the basics. And now we've got like 28, 29 something videos and like 39 subscribers. How many subscribers? 39. That's a lot of subscribers. Yeah, so um, Sierra was, like I had my own and I thought like hers, because we did most of our videos together on her channel. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, since I didn't have a lot of my, like I had, Fan videos, I don't know, but my, my but your own your own videos. You cre- yeah. you weren't creating your own. Yeah, and I was doing like I didn't have a lot, so I was just thinking maybe I should join Sierra's because we did way more stuff together on her channel. So and thank you for all those people that um, commented super nicely and gave us and let us and subscribe to our channel thank you so much and we really appreciate it yeah because the subscribers went up after um i mentioned on talk is jericho Mm -hmm. that you guys had your own channel and asked Mm -hmm. people to subscribe and you got a whole bunch more subscribers yeah Yeah. so there's a lot of people listening right now that watch your videos three to 13 to 20 to, to from 23 to 27 and now to 29 so it's a big difference that's well actually 39 Right? Yeah. 39 39. Subscribers. So what kind of videos do you have up there for people um, that haven't we, seen your channel? We have like um we have Minecraft videos. I know a lot of We have daily like vlogs like in challenges. What are some of the challenges? Some of the challenges are the, the being boozle challenge. Boozled. We haven't posted the smoothie challenge yet. Oh yeah. Um the bean boozled challenge. And what was the bean boozled challenge? It's you, were you in get it. this gross jelly beans, you eat them, and then they're either good flavor or bad flavor. It was really gross. Yeah. And yeah. I hated that one. It's yeah. like you gave me one, it's uh, there was like two brown ones. And oh, one yeah. of them is chocolate canned pudding, and the other one is like a skunk. No, canned dog, canned dog food. Canned dog food. I got the, like, one time we played it, remember, with Ash, our brother. Yeah. Um, and I got 
all the best hair because after so I got like toothpaste. I got all these bad, all the bad flavors. Ones, there's toothpaste. There's a skunk. Mm-hmm. That's the I one that I got that one, and my breath smelled so mad, bad. It's just terrible. That's why yeah. I almost yeah. threw up. I had to quit playing the game. Yeah, and um, I when we were playing it with Ash after we finished, I was like, I'm just gonna see if I got. I'm just gonna see if I can get. Chocolate pudding. Since my luck was my bad luck was over after the bean boozled after we did it, and I was like, "Nope, I got canned dog food again." <laughs> and um, nope. And for the all those nope. adults who will be watching this video in the future, because it's not out yet, but it soon. Because you're filming this to put on your yeah, YouTube channel. It soon will be, but um, adults who have if they have kids. Just search capital S I S I and then the other like the ands, not the A N D but the other one. The Amber Cell. And then Shy. C H E Y C H E Y with capital C and then space and then capital V L O G S and then U and and then capital V I D E O S and it should pop up. Yeah, but if you go to YouTube and just put in C C S I S I and the amber sign, yeah. amber sand, it should show, it up. show up. And um, if you if you want to subscribe, you are welcome to. Just don't put any mean comments or anything that will. It's a free country; they can, yeah. you know. No, no, but don't start a fight. On the comments, like if someone said, "I think this video was better," no, I think this video better, and you guys just got into a big fight. That would make me sad. So just okay, try so not to do that. You want people to be friends on this site? Yeah, it's a happy be friendly. site. You love it. Be friendly. You love it. You love it. Be <laughs> friendly. You got any other uh, ideas for future videos that you want to do? Yeah, next week we're going to do a couple of videos. We're going to do ones called Crazy Jobs. And we're going to try to do some more with our friends. And I'd like this one comment. Somebody commented, can you please do more videos with your dad? So we'll we'll try to do that. Okay. We'll try to post we'll the smoothie challenge. Do that. Oh yeah, the smoothie challenge. You haven't posted that one yet? Yeah, mm-hmm. I tried to send it from my iPad to... The phone, but it only sent four minutes of it, so I'm trying to figure that out. Okay. So as soon as I do, I'll post that as quick as I can. And what was the smoothie challenge? It's where you get like five gre- five good, five bad ingredients, and you put them into a blender, and you blend them, and you make a smoothie, and you have to drink it. It's not that hard to say. Blender. Blah, 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 blah. What was the worst ingredient that you got, The shy? worst ingredient that I got, um, so, um, I would say the almonds, everything else was pretty good. Yeah, you got the good, pretty good ones. What about you, Susie? I got the health that I had was healthy kid. ketchup, and the second was probably a raw egg. A raw egg. Egg. Ha, ha, ha. I <laughs> was a good one. And my other favorite one that you guys had was the top 10 things to do at a sleepover. To make oh, yeah. a sleepover awesome. To make a sleepover yeah, awesome. That was fun. Out. Which one has the most views out of all your uh, videos? The Cup of Water Challenge. It has like 159, I believe. 159 views for the Cup of Water Challenge? Because people search. Probably because I was people in it search, the first No, time. people search those. And, um... They search cup of water challenge and um, 
the yoga challenge and things popped up, like things that were posted, like right. And then we, our channel would show up, and they would watch that, and then it'd be another view after another view after another view. I really um that we should like we should plan like a meet and greet or something, because like when we get more like. More stubs, and if you're watching this, subscribe right now, right now. So, so you'll you want to you want to have a meet and greet if you guys when you guys become more famous, like at a at a store, and people would come get your autograph. Oh yeah, something like that. Because I just know that like some little kids who really want to do a video, and there's like other kids doing it, I think they would really want to meet them because I think it would be Be so their idols. Be the ones will be their idols. Be the one to look up to. Be the one to be inspired by. That's what we want to Well, that's, re- that's good. That's really good. And I was, um, if we have a meet and greet um, at all, make sure to bring a pen because you always need your handy pen in case you see us and you want an autograph. Oh, okay. Safety pen. So last last thing. So why why should people subscribe to your channel? People CC? should should subscribe should subscribe to our channel because it's great for the kids. We do nothing that's inappropriate, and it's something. It's a cheerful channel, and. We try to do what you suggest. And also a quick channel update that we, um, Minecraft Part 2, Crazy Craft Part 2, is going to be on Sunday. Okay, so that's the next one is on Sunday. This Sunday, and it's going to be Crazy Craft Number 2. Okay, so tell them one more time what the name of the channel is. CC and Shy Vlogs and Videos. I just decided this, but we're, we, for the last thing, I'm going to try to see if we can get some t-shirts that says like CC and Shy Vlogs and Videos and a pic collage picture I made and we could put it on there and we'll put them, like, we'll tell them when they're out in like stores or something and we'll tell you when we'll give you enough update on that later so yeah hopefully okay. they'll make a toy about us that would be really did cool. your own action figures yeah. and then um so for today's to get on the five shout outs today comment down below, down below. which um which like which person do you like better, Sierra or Cheyenne? No hard feelings. <laughs> no. All right, say goodbye to all your fans. Bye. Bye. We'll see you all later. Bye. S- subscribe. Parents, go tell your kids to subscribe. It's yeah. a fun channel, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, we have special guests like Chris Jericho, who's also our dad. Well, I guess it's our time to leave. Peace out, homie. Peace out. All right, peace out with CC and Shy. Shy, don't forget it. CC and Shy vlogs and videos on YouTube. Fun channel. Check it out and subscribe uh, if you uh, want to check out more about them. If you've got little daughters or sons, have them watch it as well. Some fun stuff. Just little kids. I love the fact that they're uh, they got their own YouTube channel, which I didn't even know about. I don't even have a YouTube channel, and they're they're doing this all on their own, and they're exploring and 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 being creative and telling stories and using. 
you know, technology to post themselves up there. And like I said, I was very, very proud of them. And it's cool to hear them. Uh, maybe they will do uh, private public appearances for you guys. You can come tell them that they're uh, an inspiration. Maybe we'll work on getting some CC and Shy Shy t-shirts as well. So thanks to CC and Shy Shy. Go check it out. CC and Shy vlogs and videos on YouTube. Go subscribe to it and uh, boost their numbers. 39 not a bad uh, bunch of a uh, bunch of people watching, but let's see if we can get that up to fifty or maybe even a hundred. They'll have a, they'll uh, they'll be bursting with joy. So, talk is talk is talk is Jericho. All right, man. Here uh, in the uh, in the in the studio with uh, my old friend Dean Malenko. That's you. That's me talking about you. And it's funny. I, I was driving over here, um, listening to the. Hold on a second. What? Twenty year friendship. Been up and down the road each other, beat each other up, done everything together. That's my leading. Are you kidding me? <laughs> One of the greatest friends I've ever had in the wrestling business. We've been through so much together. Uh, you caught me in the bushes one day. We used to go <laughs> hang out at uh, different various places of ill repute back in the old days. Uh, we used to hang out uh, with all of our old friends, and we had some amazing matches, probably the best series of matches I ever had in WCW, and uh, also had a great time at a Leonard Skinner concert, my old friend Dean uh, Stinko Malenko. Stinko Malenko. Is that better? Much better, much better. Do people still call you that? Uh, you know what? Well, actually, my kids do. Really? For various reasons. <laughs> do they have any reason why? No, they, not really. Why not they really. call you that? Not really. That's lasted about 20 years. Every once in a while, I'll still get... Somebody out there has to refer me to Stinko Malenko. Stinko Malenko, Dino Machino. Dino Machino. That definitely stuck. <laughs> well, I was thinking, look, driving over here today, I was listening to the 70s channel, and I still was thinking about that time when, I think of one of the road trips we did, you bought like the best of the 70s, and it was like this six-disc set. And it was like, let's just listen to all of the songs with uh, with all the other old friend Brian Hildebrand. Brian Hildebrand and uh, yeah. Dave Penzer. Dave Penzer. And just sang every song. <laughs> How many can you Backwards, pick? <laughs> forwards, Spanish, and every language possible known to mankind. It's still the best channel to listen to. Like, all those songs oh, yeah, are so it is. killer. It is. I love the 70s. You know, it's funny. I love the 70s. I think that's a VH1 show. <laughs> you should be on that. No, maybe not. But, you know, we're, we're here uh, in Tampa, and obviously there was this big function in Tampa that I was, you asked me to, to be a part of. I couldn't do it because I had to go do Tough Enough, but it was basically to put up the, I'm going to kind of wing this, the Florida Hall of Fame, Wrestling Hall of Fame. Well, it's a, um, not so much a Hall of Fame, just a, a wall of memorabilia. Mm -hmm. Guys, past, past and present, uh, that wrestled in Fort Estley Army here in Tampa. And it's, it's interesting because it, back like in the 70s or 60s or even up until the early 80s, Every, not every, but there's, there's certain territories that if you grew up in that city, wrestling was like a part of like, of like just the cultural fabric of the city. Like I think I'm thinking of Calgary, like people still talk about stampede wrestling if they grew up there mm -hmm. in the seventies and eighties, or if you were talking about Minneapolis or you're talking about Oregon and Tampa is very much like that. I mean, everywhere I go, people say, Oh, I used to watch dusty roads in the seventies or whatever. It's such a big part of the community. Right. Well, Florida is a great place. We moved here back in 1967. My dad was working out in San Francisco for Roy Shires. So I was seven years old at the time. Oops, did I just tell my age? Okay. <laughs> Stop counting with your fingers. Um, but this this was a great place for uh, for guys to learn their craft. Uh, it was easy travel. The longest trip you had on a Wednesday night was to Miami. And you're five hours there, five hours back. So you were home every night with your family, which is a, which is a big luxury, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, how the business has changed through the years. Now you got to fly everywhere, but everything right. was a drive. You know, the schedule was Monday was in Orlando, Tuesday was Tampa, Wednesday was TV taping in the afternoon. Then you drove down to Miami, came back, 
Thursday night was Jacksonville, and then you had some spot shows here or there during the week, on, sometimes on the weekends if it's Bayfront or Leesburg or whatever little town there. But it was an easy schedule in comparison to what you know we know guys do now. And who was the promoter? The original promoter here in, in Tampa was a good gentleman by the name of Cowboy Letro. And then he brought Eddie Graham in here and basically handed over the reins to Eddie Graham. So during the glory years of, and what was it called? Florida Championship. Florida Wrestling. Championship. Right. See, I grew up obviously in Winnipeg, so I would maybe see this in a in an after magazine, as we used to call them. We'd read the ratings in the back, but I don't really know much about Florida Championship Wrestling other than it was a very you know storied territory. So how territories would work is, like you mentioned, you'd have your, your linchpin shows that were every week, and then you'd have the spot shows. So guys would be working in the same town, Every Monday night, every right. Tuesday night, right? Right. TV, TV was on the weekends. I believe it was originally Channel Forty Four, which is no longer in existence here. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Channel Eight after that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but it was an hour programming. So if you wanted to get more of more of that entertainment and wrestling value, you had to go pay to go see it, mm-hmm. which was a ritual. In Tampa, was every Tuesday night. Fort Hesley Army was kind of like uh, a lot of people here like to call it the Madison Square Garden of the South. Of course, not as big as we know. Maybe not the, the luxury suites, but mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, you know, wrestling fans are creatures of habit. And it was every Tuesday night for 25, almost 30 years. People in that area that could walk, walk to the building. It was sold, it sold out um, every Tuesday night, no matter rain, sunshine, it, it didn't matter. People were at the arena and they were there to see their favorite wrestlers. And where where is Fort Hesley Armory? It's in- located in central Tampa. Okay. Central so they're, what kind of kicked off the, the, the whole thing is they're tearing down the armory? Yeah, the Jewish uh, Community Center here of Tampa uh, bought the property. It's a very historic site. The Armory housed a lot of a lot of famous people through the years. Martin Luther King had uh, two speeches there. Uh, John F. Kennedy's speech actually was four days prior to him going to Dallas for the death of... Uh, really? Yeah, which is very interesting when you look back at that. He had two or three speeches there. Elvis played there for three years. Three, three, no, I'm sorry, three times during the years. Uh, the Doors played there. If I'm not mistaken, I think Fozzie actually opened up for The Doors. This was probably <laughs> the original incarnation. The original Fozzie. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But uh, again, there's some, a lot of famous people and a lot of uh, things happening uh, through the years, pop culture-wise, that it's happened at the, that army. But the biggest thing of all was wrestling. Okay. Was so the mainstay there for some 25, 30 years. So they're kind of tearing it down and then bought by the by the Jewish community center. Or, or, right. Or, yeah, right. So you guys are now wanting to put up this wall of fame. Well, my brother and the gentleman who's running the, the center kind of contacted each other, and there was an idea for three separate walls. One was being as a momentum to guys like John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, The Doors, Elvis, and various people that have played through that through the years at that uh, mm-hmm. that building. And then a, another wall that was going to be dedicated was one to wrestling itself, and that was kind of memorabilia wall of guys' pictures, guys' names that have, that have uh, gotten an opportunity through the years to work there. Right. So my brother's kind of, uh, you know, with this gentleman uh, at the uh, Jewish Community Center, kind of taking this this project on. I've kind of chipped in and helped, you know, get some talent. And uh, so who goes up? Like, I mean, there's been so many guys that came through here. Uh, who, who named some of the guys that? that, um, that are yeah, there's so many through the years. I mean, Jose Lothario, Dorian Terry Funk, the Briscoes, Jack and Jerry. Of course, my dad, Eddie Graham, Renee Goulet, Dick Murdoch, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Dick Slater got his start there, Steve Kern. Would Hulk Hogan be yeah, Brian included Blair. in there? Um, Hogan didn't actually wrestle there, and that's a conversation I've had with him, but he, as a kid, being 17, 18 years old and going to high school here, was a big fan of my dad's. And uh, another gentleman by the name of Ricky Steamboat, who, mm-hmm. who went to high school over in St. Pete. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Bogus, I didn't know yeah, Steamboat bogus, was a Tampa guy. Yeah, well, Bogusiega High School. 
Okay. When he graduated from, yeah, Mitchell wrestled there, and he, as a young, as a young guy, seventeen, eighteen years old, also visited the army on frequently on Tuesdays. Did you guys used to go there as kids and watch your dad? Oh yeah, all the time. Of course, I was a school night when you went on Tuesday, and you had to get up early Wednesday. But you know, I was there religiously. Pretty much. So what were the rules like? I mean, obviously it was kind of different back then. And when you grew up, I know talking with Bret Hart, like when he grew up, his dad never clued him in and he used to get in fights at school with other kids because they told him wrestling, you know, maybe wasn't real or that my dad isn't as tough as you think. How was it for you guys coming to Florida? Because your dad was such a ba- uh, big time heel too. Yeah, well, I am. Um, it was very interesting back in those days. I mean, those days we're talking about prior to it, um, the internet any social media out there. It was a very closed mouth business. It was very mafioso, if mm-hmm. I may say, uh, very, you know, very secretive about what the business was. The heels were really hated. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we had our, our car up on blocks or death threats. We had different names in our people our are slashing your oh, tires, yeah, yeah, yeah. mailbox, whatever. But you know, back then as a heel, that's your applause. That means you're doing your job right. And same thing as a baby face, but it was a different environment back then. You know, we stayed close to my dad, and he was very recognizable, you know, back in the day during that time span. Of course, we're talking about a, a time span where there's no Tampa Bay Rays, there was no Lightning, there was no Buccaneers. The only really form of entertainment in, in, in Tampa back then was Championship Wrestling in Florida or the University of Tampa football. Hmm. That was at the old old stadium. Right. So they pretty much had the monopoly on the entertainment value here in Tampa. So, um, but your dad was, was the great Boris Malenko. Boris. Boris. Yeah. <laughs> Boris Malenko. Can't forget that. <laughs> so, so um, when you came here, like, who do you remember him working against? And would you sit in the front row or? Um, most, uh, there, there's a balcony level where the, uh, where the, where Talon used to go down a set of stairs and then kind of through like a little back garage area then out into the, out into the public that was always led by a couple local policemen to the ring mm-hmm. being that the riots would in, would incurred at different times. Uh, again, my dad had a 15 year feud with Eddie Graham, probably one of the longest feuds I've ever heard of 15 years, yeah, 15 years on and off. But guys like uh, Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes, when Dusty first started, uh, Rene Goulet, the Missouri Mauler. I mean, the list just goes on and on personal from a personal thing. Um, you know, of course my dad was a big influence on me getting in the business and another gentleman by the name of Carl Gotch. But the one guy that really stuck out, and I've never really said this too much, is a gentleman by the name of Tony Charles who just recently passed away. Um, he was a big influence on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't a big guy in stature, but just his moves and, and things that he did. He was a European-type wrestler. Was he an English guy? Yeah, English guy. Yeah. He wrestled a lot with uh, Billy Robinson back in the day. He was one of those guys, the first guy I really saw that I kind of took a liking to and said, wow, he does some really neat things. I could see myself being like him or emulating him to a certain extent. Because mm-hmm. he, he had the style that you had, a very technical you know, you were really literally the man of a thousand holes, yeah. right? And yeah, you were the man of a thousand four holes. <laughs> yeah, and I knew about seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you knew it a lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, Tony was a big influence in my career. Um, I never got an opportunity to tell him that, and I wish I would have. Um, he just recently passed away in Pensacola. But a big influence as far, again, as the style and the type of the European style that uh, mm-hmm. we've seen so many times in the past. Right, exactly, exactly. So when, when you came with your dad, like we, you kind of mentioned it, did you ever – Getting any kind of fights at school or anything like that because of the dash? No, I think, you know, back back then, I think more people were scared of me than anything else because <laughs> who my dad was. You know, my dad oh. did some pretty uh, pretty eccentric uh, promos on TV. There were, and I wouldn't say death threats, but people took everything he said very literally back then. And so, 
you know, everybody, I remember growing up as a kid and I'd have a friend or something, hey, you want to come spend the night? No, is your dad going to be home? Then that was always the first question, is your dad going to be home? Like my dad's going to grab somebody and put him in a Russian sickle or something. Uh, right. No, no, he's really a nice guy. He just plays the bad guy on TV. Yeah. But, uh, you know, back then kids were scared. Mm-hmm. And I could see that in back of you know, we're or people about, didn't know. Yeah, we're talking about the, the mid seventies, right? 70s. You didn't know anything about no. what was really going on behind no, the scenes, you know. So, who was working on top? It was your dad, obviously, and Eddie Graham. But who else was kind of? Um, like I said, Jose Theria was a big name here. A gentleman by the name of Sam Steamboat, Don Curtis. Uh, you had your Japanese contingent of Duke Kiyomoka, who was who was one of the guys that. Was kind of running the office here a little bit. Hiro Matsuda was a big name. Mm-hmm. So Hiro was a big influence on Ron Simmons, Lex Luger, Hogan himself as one of the trainers. He's the guy who broke Hogan's, yeah, a lot of guys. Hogan's ankle. Broke him in and broke his ankle. <laughs> broke him and broke an ankle. <laughs> broke and, a lot of things. And this is, you know, Hogan was on my show and told the story, but for people that didn't hear it, that he Hogan went to train and they saw him as just some, he went to try out. They right. saw him as just some big surfer guy or whatever. And Matsuda, you know, broke his ankle or tore his ligaments or, you know, you know, amputated him or whatever the actual story was, but that's how closed the business was. Yeah, and they want to see how tough you were. Mm-hmm. You know, let me damage something to you and see if you'll come back. Right, come back that means you got some heart. What about uh, Dusty Rhodes? When did he come into the area? Um, he was more towards the mid part of the seventies. I'm not sure. I'm not real good with dates. Yeah, uh, but uh, he came in with Dick Murdoch when they first formed the tag team, and then kind of really took a, a singles career and kind of blossomed here in Tampa. I mean, were you, were you still watching? Uh, oh, yeah. Here in oh, town? yeah, all yeah. the time. All the time. What would you think of a guy like Dusty? Uh, very flamboyant, had a lot of charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very different for that for that, for that that era. Um, back then, it was a lot of just hard-nosed wrestlers, a lot of, you know, Germans and Russians and, you know, all these people playing different uh, uh, country characters. But uh, he was definitely totally different from what was going on in that era. Mm-hmm. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Amigas, see, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. So when you started uh, thinking about training, did you train in, in Florida? Yeah, yeah, I trained in Florida. With your dad? With my dad. He was your teacher? Pretty much, pretty much. And a lot of things, uh, you know, self-taught, just watching. I was one of those real studious guys when it came to watching film and just watching old matches and kung fu theater of all things, believe it or not. I used to watch that on Saturdays and see what <laughs> I could pick up. 
Let's see if we can pick <laughs> yeah. up some moves. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Big Bruce Lee fan. <laughs> yeah. So um, when did you start finding out that maybe, I mean, when you grew up, did you think wrestling was completely 100% a real thing? Uh, to a certain extent, the first time I saw my dad bleed, which he did on several occasions because he was one of the first guys ever to do the Russian chain match. If I'm not mistaken, he probably invented it because he had one every night and he bled every single night. Mm. The first time I was a kid, I believe I was six, maybe six, seven years old. And I think it was all in Nebraska. I know it was somewhere in Nebraska. And uh, back then he would keep us at a hotel. Not that we, he didn't want anybody to know who his family was, but just from a safety standpoint, we were on the road back then. You we were like a band of gypsies. So we would stay at the hotel. He would go work, come back, pick us up, move on to the next town. Hmm. So I think it was one night we didn't go to the hotel. I'm not really sure of the story, but I sat there and I watched my dad bleed, and I thought it was real. So it was, it was really, really hard back then. I was 26. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. No, I, was, I was young, and the first time, you know, you see your dad bleeding, and you, oh, yeah. you, without knowing what, what the business was about, it kind of affected me. Did he try and, because um, I know, like, when my kids, especially when they were a few years younger, sitting in the front row at WrestleMania and just crying, like, if I was losing or getting beat or whatever, just no matter what I said, I couldn't convince them that it's okay. You know, we're just, we're, we're playing, it's a show. They didn't want to hear it. They oh, no. believed in 100%. Did your dad ever try that, or it was just like, okay, um, that's the way it goes? Pretty much. I mean, half the fun is just, you know, just kind of finding out for yourself. Yeah. You know. How did you find out? And then there's still some times I, I don't know if I found out yet. <laughs> I'm not sure the exact moment or the time, just, you know, I think just watching, watching things on my own, mm. just kind of figuring it out. So was it kind of like, did you ever go up to him uh, when you were 18, 19, ready to train, and, like, you know, Dad, I know there's no Santa Claus. Like, let's say, <laughs> yeah. I get it now, or did you just just never really talked about? Uh, kind of never really talked about it. Just mm-hmm. you know, I kind of figured it out on my own. And, and even you know, even like all the years that I worked in Japan, and part of the Japan training was really not letting a lot of the guys know up front. Yeah, I saw some of the earlier matches; those guys really went at it, and it right, kind of created a you know different outlook on the business and gave them a little bit of a harder nose edge to yeah the business. And that was always the mentality of of the training. And the way they had things laid out in Japan, you know, you didn't you didn't tell the first two batches. You just went out and well, that's right, yeah. W- and that's w- the way it was. Yeah, the guys that were actually working didn't really know. They might be told to finish, but the rest right. are, was just right. Go out there and see what happens. And you had to reach a certain plateau in your career for you to be told that that kind of wasn't on the up and up at that point. Right. Yeah. Did, did a lot of uh, did Eddie Graham bring in a lot of Japanese guys at all to Florida? Was it that type of a territory? Um, not really. I mean, there's some periodically. Uh, one of the and you'll know this gentleman, Tiger Tori Masala Tori, who refereed for and still refereeing uh, for New Japan mm-hmm. Wrestling, is uh, my actually my amateur wrestling coach when I was and also mm-hmm. my ba- babysitter at one point. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, he was he was living down here in Tampa and kind of helping out the Japanese guys when they came in town, like uh, Masa Saito, Ricky Choshu. And there's a couple more, but uh, he actually babysitted me sometimes. And uh, Hiro Matsuda had an amateur wrestling school, and uh, Tori actually was one of the coaches at that time. He was third in the world uh, back. I can't remember the date, but mm-hmm. he was a really good amateur wrestler. So he was my wrestling coach. And then it was funny. Thirty some odd years later, I'm wrestling professionally in the New Japan Pro Wrestling office, and he's the referee. You know, kind of like your boss in a lot of ways. Yeah, liaison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're still good friends to this day. He's a very dear friend of mine. Yeah, he's a great, great guy. Yep. How how important was it for um, like in your dad's mind for you to learn amateur wrestling? Was that kind of a pro, a prerequisite back in those days? Not really. Um, it's just uh, that was always taught that that was the foundation of our business. 
it's like building a house. You got to lay the, the floor down before you put the walls and the roof on. Mm. Type of deal. And uh, that, that was really my background. You know, I'm unlike a lot of guys that got in the business who ate, drank, and slept the business and always fantasized about being in it. That really wasn't my first being in, in the business. I had an amateur career. I had a car accident back in 1976. Told I never wrestle again. And I got guys like Tony Charles and just watching their moves. And I was thinking, okay. How could I still continue to wrestle and still do the wrestling moves and all that in a professional state? And then I started learning how to wrestle and then and just took off from there. And then I had the luxury of meeting Carl Gotch, who was training a lot of the Japanese guys and got me my first uh, first gig in UWF. Now, let's talk, first of all, about you, you mentioned your car accident. I remember first meeting you had the zipper scar in the yeah, back of your neck. You still have it. Didn't yeah, go anywhere. No. Didn't wash it's away. Like my suit. I just unzip it. <laughs> but you're talking about neck surgeries. I mean, it happens on, you know, not a daily basis, but happens frequently now. Mm-hmm. Guys get the, you know, the orthoscopic little Dr. Steve or Dr. Joe surgery. Right. And they're gone for three or four months. But your surgery, I'm imagining, if it was in the 70s, is probably a lot more uh, archaic than that. Yeah. Well, medicine's changed a lot in 30 sure. years. Now they go through the front and. Like, you know, John Cena is a prime example. He he had a surgery, and two seconds later, he's out working. Literally showed up the yeah, same day, yeah. Pittsburgh. Right, yeah, with a little Band-Aid on his neck after getting this evasive or invasive, yeah, whatever the proper a, word is. Yeah, I had done a C3 and C4, and I had one of those halos where the screws are screwed, and screwed wow. into your head for six months when you're 16 years old during the summer. is not fun. And that's heavy, too. I mean, it's yeah. literally screwed into your yeah, head. Literally, yeah, Like Frankenstein. Pretty much. Yeah. So when you... When that, I mean, because you had your whole career ahead of you, and you yeah. obviously worked some tremendous matches for many, many years, doing some pretty high impact stuff, and your neck never bothered you. Never bothered me. I always, uh, well, I always did bridges. Always worked my neck, so I had you know that insulation of neck muscles around me. Uh, the only really one time I ever had a really bad stinger was wrestling Terry Gordy, and uh, you know during the heat. During the uh, summer days in Japan, it can be very hot in some of the buildings. They're either really cold or just really hot. Mm-hmm. Well, it was one of those summer days, and it was really hot. I went to a German suplex, and my knee kind of buckled. He slipped out of me, and I came crashing down the top of my head. That's probably the one night that I really felt a little stinger and felt that electricity feeling going down. But it never stopped me from keep working, though, because I didn't. You know, yeah. something I still enjoy doing. Well, the fact that you were working Terry Gordy, too, yeah. is probably like almost twice your size yeah. for a shoot. Yeah. I mean, that's a big dude to be German yep. suplexing, too, even just coming down on that. Yeah, that's funny about Japan. In the summer, super, super hot, and in the winter, oh, yeah. super cold. And then you throw the TV lights on top of the 100-degree weather outside. <laughs> yeah. so now, you gotta, now you're wrestling <laughs> yeah. in a sauna. I don't, well, I probably not like that as much now. I mean, I would hope not. No. We, you know, I don't work there anymore, but it, you'd go there in the summertime to some of those buildings, like some of the outside ranch towns, let's say, and it would be so freaking hot. It would yep. be brutal, like impossible. I don't know. If, I don't think they believed in air conditioning back then. Yeah, or just or now for that matter. Didn't have it. Yeah, maybe no. now they have like the bigger arenas or whatever. But, but they had those fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would sell like actual fans, oh, like yeah. like Chinese fans yeah. that you wave as merch. Yeah, in the merch stand, yeah. and it kept everybody cool. <laughs> yeah, they sell. I'm still trying to figure out how my brother could hold it while we were working a tag match. <laughs> so you mentioned Carl Gotch. Now he's kind of a real legendary figure. I never met him, but you know the name, just the name Gotch itself. Mm-hmm. Is synonymous in wrestling with the name Gracie in 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 MMA. Right, Gotch means tough shooter, stretch you, beat you up. I mean, what kind of a guy was Carl Gotch? Um, he was not real approachable. He was very stern. He was from the old school, very old European style type guy. Uh, probably grew up poor and probably had to fight his way to where he, where he got. 
and you could see that in his eyes and the, and the way he talked to you. But he's probably one of the most extremely knowledgeable guys when it came to catch cad wrestling or shoot style wrestling, however you want to call it, or just just the magnitude of holds and moves and counter holds. And yeah, you know, he was the first guy really to go from an American standpoint. Besides guys like Dick Byers, who was the destroyer, to really go to Japan and make a name for himself. Mm-hmm. And trained a lot of guys. You know, one of the guys that trained Inoki and Fujinami and Fujiwara and Kido and uh, in Tiger Japan Mask. he trained them. Uh, in Japan and also here, uh, he was living out in Odessa area. He had a house there on the lake. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, for many years. Maeda, Takada. I mean, the list goes on and on. He was installed to this day, referred to as a god of Japan from right. a wrestling standpoint. So companies would send their guys to Gotch. Yeah. As kind of going to see like Obi Wan Kenobi or something, right? Yeah, pretty much. Almost like uh, you didn't have to go there to the dojo; you had to come here to the dojo. And this is where you would you know, you learn how to be yeah, a man. Pretty much. <laughs> how did you uh, end up hooking up with him to train? Uh, my he was living next to us when we were living in California. He uh, got to be really good friends with my dad. And then he moved to Tampa about the same time we moved. Um, was kind of a next door neighbor. Hmm. And uh, my dad had a gym at the time, at the height of his uh, popularity, where he opened up a gym like everybody else does. It makes a little money in the wrestling business. They'll go open up a gym. <laughs> and, of course, Malika's Health Club was an apartment complex. And uh, we, had a, we had a mat that we used to roll out on the weekends, move all the equipment. Carl would teach. And uh, it was me, my brother, and a couple other local guys. Um, actually, Iron Sheik, when he first came to this country, Missouri, was about 180 pounds soaking wet. To train? Ripped, yeah, ripped to shreds. Wow. He was living in, down in Tampa and kind of working out with us. He was incredible at the time. Changed a little bit since. <laughs> yeah, but he was a great oh, yeah. amateur great Olympic amateur wrestler. wrestler, right? right. Yeah. yeah. And that's and that's and so so when you went to train with Gotch, it was pro wrestling, but with a real heavy amateur slant to right. it. Right. 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 There was a there was a lot of uh, guys in his era that were very scared to work with him just because it was. His reputation and just the type of guy that he was. Um, my dad never had that problem. Probably why they're better friends than, than most of his comrades with him. But um, my dad always respected him and, and thought very highly of him, as Carl did my dad. But uh, there was a lot of guys that were very scared to work with him. But your dad was a real, I, I, I hate to use the word shooter because I don't really know if he was mm-hmm. an actual shooter for real, but he had a very shoot style. Amateur yeah, style, right? Um, not so much. I mean, he was, my okay. dad was more of an entertainer. Okay. He, he learned, I mean, well, from what he told me, uh, he told me a lot that he learned was from the Deucex out in the Midwest area. The Deucex? Deucex. It was like Joey Mel. I can't remember all the guys. It was, it was like the, Mar- the March Brothers. It was like Harpo, <laughs> Groucho. Right. There's a whole bunch of them. <laughs> They're everywhere. It's kind of like the Guerreros. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, that's where he told me, uh, you know, through talks of the years that he really learned his craft. Just from, from there? Yeah. And other places, of course. So... When you first went to train, was there a lot of drills that you had to do um, as far as, like, would he stretch you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the old, back then kind of what we are talking about with, the, with Hogan. With Hogan. I mean, that was, that was the protocol back then. You know, let me, let me rip your mouth up and let me make you bleed and let you tap. And I'm still not going to let go after you tapped. And see what kind of heart you had. See how long you could last. You know, see if you came back was more important. And you knew this going in? Did your oh, dad course. give you the tip on it? Uh, not so much a tip. I could just see it. Mm-hmm. You, you can just see it when you're, when you're watching, guys. This isn't going to be the easiest. I thought it was. It's not a walk in the park for sure. So you must have been a like a pretty tough guy to go in there and, and like, okay. Here Either we go. that or really stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm still debating that some 30 years later. <laughs> but, you know, we, we even had that, too, training up in Calgary. I mean, Stu wasn't there, but I've said this many times in this show. We It was the Stu style of training 
So before we even got in the ring, it might have been 10 to 14 days because our, our, our uh, training was three months where we, you know, we had to do 500 hack squats a day, run a mile backwards, wheelbarrow drills, you know, uh, sit, sit on the back and, and, and the mat on your back and they would drop a medicine ball on your, on your stomach, but you have to have your eyes closed. So you wouldn't know who was getting it. Like they really were pounding out the guys and really wearing you down to say, I think if you're mentally tough enough to do this. Yeah, and I think it's also a weeding out process. Right. You know, who, who's got it, who doesn't, who, mm-hmm. who, who really wants this and how bad do they want it? You know, and that, and that really kind of tells a lot. You know. Who was in the class when you were training? Really didn't have any class. Mom, <laughs> I really didn't have any class. <laughs> no, like Probably didn't have no class. That's for sure. Um, we really didn't have like a – my dad was just forming the school. My dad stopped wrestling probably somewhere about 76, 77 was his last run. I think it was up in Knoxville, Tennessee. And then he decided to open up a wrestling school, which opened up, I believe, in 78 because we had it running for about 15 to 18 years until September of 94 when my dad passed. Um, but we had a wrestling school at that time, one in Tampa, one down in Miami. And, and we have a great list of guys that have come to the Name some process. of them. Um, Tugboat, Fred Ottman, uh, Al Perez, uh, Barry Horowitz, some uh, Mark Merrill. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say Van Hammer, even though Steve Regal, if he hears this, so he, loves <laughs> to, he loves to tell me that that was probably one of the worst classes I've ever had, <laughs> yeah. a graduating class of 198, whatever it was. It was but, all your fault. Yeah, it was all my fault. But I'm still in charge of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Wallman. One, two, oh, three, yeah. X, X, big, biggest yeah. name, probably. You know. Kane. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. There's yeah, your biggest sure. name. Well, it's not that big. It's like four <laughs> letters. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we had a lot of guys through the years. A lot of couple Norman of Smiley. Norman Smiley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Norman Smiley. Shamrock. Uh, Ken didn't come through the process, but uh, I was working with Ken when he was working up in the Carolinas. Okay. And his wife at the time was working for US Air, so we would fly down. Kind of helped him get started with the whole uh, working in Pancreas with the, the shoot company there. And then from there, he just... He just Blossomed out and made it. And that was actually a real name of a company, by the way, Pancreas. Pancreas. That was like actually Pancreas or something <laughs> like that. I don't know what it was. But I had no idea what that means. One of those weird Japanese, English. Crazy. Maybe it's, like, it's Greek or something. So, well, it's like, well, you work for them. War. Yeah, war. Wrestling and romance. Wrestling and romance, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, who comes up with these names? I was more on the romance side. Yeah, of the yeah side. not so yeah. much a wrestling. <laughs> yeah. You'd go for the Japan for like the Super Fire Battle Angel Winter Tour. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. like, what? Me and my friend Dolphine. <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> Super Delphine, yeah. yeah. You told Super Delphine, uh, which is actually Super Dolphin, that he was off the car. They left you off on porpoise. porpoise. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid humor that still works. Yeah, exactly. So when you, when you were a kid, something that you mentioned earlier about going to Omaha, would you go from territory to territory and have to move like every year? Yeah. Uh, well, my dad says that I was I was conceived or made in Missouri. <laughs> I was born in New Jersey, and I was raised in Tampa. So I got around, and, yeah. and I didn't even do anything yet. Not bad for two years. Yeah, but I remember living in California. We lived in Texas for a lot while. Uh, lived in Dallas. My dad was working in Houston for Paul Bosch at the time, going back and forth. Um, the Carolinas. I went to first grade in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm. Had a southern accent, which is really funny. <laughs> Only when I read. Um, what else do we move? Florida, of course. We moved here in 67 because back then it was a great place to raise kids. We were living on the beach. We had like a little commune there. We'd hear him at Sid and his family right on Clearwater Beach. And uh, back then it was just, you know, it was a great place to raise kids. Like I said earlier that, uh, you know, my dad was home every night. So, you, you know, it wasn't like it is now where sometimes dad leaves, you don't see him for four or five days, if not longer than that. Right. So, you know, he got to interact with his children every day. So once you came here, he kind of settled down yeah, and stayed? stayed? Yeah, gotcha. Been here since 1967 and never left. So it's almost a little bit like being like an army brat 
Pretty much. You know? Pretty much. I remember going, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but I was in like two or three different schools, which makes it hard as you get older because sure. you start bonding with other people and you start accumulating friendships and then you have to get up and leave and it's like, oh, well, hold on a second. Can't my friend come, you know? Well, yeah, and then it come, it's probably harder for him yeah, too because now yeah. he's not just picking the family. He's got to disrupt you guys' yeah, lives. Yeah, you know, you go through those uh, things as a kid. You, know, you start looking back, like start regretting what your dad's doing, but then you, as you get older, you realize he did all that for one reason. That was to give you, you know, everything he had from to a school standpoint, yeah. to support you, and that was his way of making a living. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it took a while for me to realize that. I'm just seeing dad packing his bag and leaving thinking, him and my mom fight her. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Every week. As soon as you see that bag by the door, right, you start feeling right. that tug, oh, you know? We've all been there. Yeah, exactly. We, I mean, I still, well, we, we all still go through it. You know, yeah. we're on the road, leaving home and leaving your kids. And it's not, it's like you said, it's what we do, but it doesn't make it any easier. No, not at all. You know? Um, and 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 I think you, were you hanging out with other wrestlers' kids? You mentioned this with Hiro Matsuda's family. Um, the, the wrestlers kind of, Hang together or not really. My dad would have the guys come over, you know, once in a while. A funny story is uh, Lord Littlebrook was one of the original, like really first midget guys that really got over and, and then later on kind of took over the book, so to speak. Of, he was in charge of all the little guys. Oh, he was and, like the yeah, he was like the, the head of the, the, little... the head honcho. Okay. Yeah, living out in I think it was Missouri or Kansas City. Well, when you're when you're a kid you have no concept of of looking at somebody eye to eye like that and thinking, well, he looks older than me, but I wonder if he still wants to play. And I used to ask my dad why he won't play with me. And then my dad, <laughs> yeah, sounds <laughs> funny. Now. He's forty years yeah, old. He, yeah, he's back then he was like twenty or thirty years old, <laughs> yeah. and his wife was really tall. <laughs> but it's funny, but you know, things yeah. like that that you grow up with. You know, we had, I mean, we had. Uh, I met Haystack Scahuna as a kid. First time I ever met him, I started to cry because I thought he was going to like eat me or something. And, <laughs> and back then he was a big guy. I was like meeting Big Show. Right. And, you know, then next day you're meeting a guy with half a mouth of teeth. Then you're meeting a midget the next day. I mean, it's, it's like the circus just opened the door and you're, you're just yeah. walking in through all these fun houses. Th- that's what uh, I had Brad on the show and he said the same. It was like growing up in a, in a, in a circus menagerie. Oh, yeah. There'd be like a midget and then there's like a bear, yeah. like a wrestling yeah. bear living under my, you know, living under my house. Yeah. Well, it's like the old joke. And there, there's a midget and there's a bear and, and they all walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's a bar run by Ed yeah. Graham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you started, um, what was the first place that you worked? Did you start in Florida Championship Wrestling? Uh, no. No, I was uh, just working local things here around... Uh, Couple island shows, whatever they, you know, independent stuff locally, and then mm-hmm. my big, my big dream was to go to Japan uh, because I knew that was the kind of style I wanted to do. Because you had trained with Gotch, or uh, yeah, because I trained with Gotch, and because I watched tapes of it, and always wanted to, always seemed like that would be the most comfortable place for me and a great place to start, and it ended up being. Yeah, well, because it's more of a technical style. Yeah, you know, and not as yeah. much of a. Because even back in those days, there was a lot, like you said, a lot of show business involved. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about Dusty, or you said, you know, Boris Malenko, right. or it, it was starting to get more into that, into that zone. Yeah, right? what happened was a lot of the uh, guys like uh, Tiger Mask, who went off on his own and kind of exposed the business and took his mask off, put it back on, and called himself Super Tiger. 
And then there was a guy by the name of Maeda, Takara, Yamazaki, which were all really big names, but kind of like rebels for old other companies, all formed this one company called UWF. And Carl was kind of booking for them because his son-in-law was refereeing. And so that was the, my first tour ever was 19, I want to say 1983 or 84, somewhere in there. My first tour was with, it was an international tour, no pun intended, but I had Raul, Raul Mata, who lives here locally in Tampa, who's Mexican. Marty Jones, English, English Johnny guy. South, and a guy by the name of Millie Zerno. Um, and there was five of us. And so that was my first, I, was, I think I was 19, 20 years old, my first. That was your, trip, those yeah. the other foreigners on the yeah, tour? All foreigners on the tour. <laughs> Still friends with Marty this day whenever I'm in England and he comes by. Well, and, and Johnny South was pretty crazy, oh, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. He, uh, yeah. I was in, I'm mixing up Johnny Saint with Johnny South. Yeah, but Johnny, I was, I was in Hamburg with Johnny South mm. in 93, and he had a big crease in his head, and I said to him, he used to just sit at the bar just drinking. I said, what happened? Where did that crease come in your head? We were talking. He's like, I got hit with an axe. <laughs> and I was like, what? It was just some, somebody hit me with an axe. Yeah. Tackle, drop down, axe. <laughs> axe. Axe handle. Axe handle. So, I mean, how, did, how was that, like, kind of going over to a that was, country? Uh, well, that was course. interesting. A, I was young, and that was the first time I really kind of left home for, from that distance, and being there with a bunch of guys that are totally different from me. But, you know, in this business, uh, the one common denominator is is what we do. Mm-hmm. And we, no matter, and that's part of the fun, too, is meshing with guys that are from Europe or from Mexico or from, from Canada, even. Yeah. Uh, so, and, you know, that's always been the, the fun part for me, getting an opportunity to work with these guys, be around them. And you get a little education in itself while you're on the road with these guys. Well, and it's also like an international language. You get in there, you lock up, and then just go. Oh, of course. Because you're not calling spots no. in the back back in those days. For and the that, that company, when it started, was kind of a shoot company. It was kind of 50-50. You kind of knew what the outcome was, but they, it was a little bit, oh. a little work closer. Five matches a night, and they lasted about 40, sometimes 30 to 40 minutes a match, which is way too long, which they realized one of the downfalls of the company was the matches were too long. For not using any of the ropes, or not giving any of the high flying or the entertaining part. Got it. So right. a lot of mat work for forty minutes can be very, very. Well, that's very, also kind of that old style. Like if you watch, they always talk talk about, you know, a Dory Funk Jack Briscoe oh, match, yeah. and you watch it now, and I mean, it's a lot of mat work and a lot of holds yeah. and a lot of. Oh yeah. Not a lot going on. No. You no, know, no. I mean, there's an art form to it, but if you watch it as just an uneducated fan, you might even use the word boring. Right. But that's just kind of how the style was. Oh, of course. Well, that's, that's, I mean, I remember one time I was, me and my brother were in Sapporo, and there's a little museum there called Ring Palace where they have all the magazines, like a merchandise place. And the guy, knowing that we were uh, kind of students a little bit of Carl, brought us in, set us down on the couch, and put a tape in of, I think it was Carl and, I want to say Carl and Anoki against Sakaguchi and Luthez, whatever. There's some combination of four of those guys. And about five minutes in, me and my brother looking at each other like, do you want to go? Because it's really boring. <laughs> but, you know, four legends in our business. But it was just that was just the way the the company was and the well, yeah. business was. You know, back in the day, an arm drag was a finish or a headlock takedown was like, you know, doing a right. super DDT off the top rope. Yeah, or a drop so, kick would be like doing like a double moonsault. Like, exactly, oh, what a high flyer. Exactly. Antonio so for, Roca. Yeah, so for that time in that era, that's that stuff was great. It's just that we've taken and gone so far past that. When you look at it now, for us, it's like, wow, that's really boring. Mm-hmm. But not then. So when you talk about going to UWF as one of your or uh, UWF right as one right. of your first companies, you basically worked more in Japan than you ever did in the states until you know ECW years, right? Like you didn't work a lot in the states before Japan, did you? No, I worked uh, UWF maybe a year and a half before they folded. it two years if that and then i worked for all japan for six years new japan for five or six so i was there for probably about 14 years 
pretty much exclusively, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the fun part for me was when I finally came over here to the States. I mean, people were like, hey, look at this new guy. Well, new guy's already been around for 14 years. <laughs> That's right. Overnight station. You haven't heard of me. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But, but a lot of that was my choice. I've gotten people who've, you know, inquired about my services through the years. But I just like Japan wrestling. I always looked at it as like a freelancing painter. You know, no one had to tell me, you know, you have these, these canvas, these brushes, these paint, and just go out and do my thing. And uh, to me, that was fun. And not have to worry about time limits or no. anything like that. Look at right? that camera. Look at this camera. <laughs> yeah. It was just go out there and, and do what you enjoy doing and, and, you know. When did you, when you were growing up as in, in high school, junior high school or over here, did you always know you wanted to get into the business? Not really. I think it was probably towards maybe uh, after I got in the accident, I started thinking at 16 years old when you get a car wreck like that and then your doctor tells you you're not going to play sports anymore. Because prior to that, I wrestled amateur. Uh, AAU Junior Olympic tournaments. I played little league football so for six years, so I was very very active as most most kids are. And uh, when I was 16 years old, it's a very influential time in your life for a doctor to tell you you'll probably never play sports or wrestle again in your life. And that was really hard for me to mm-hmm. digest at that age, but uh, I wanted to prove them wrong. Um, again, I think sometimes when doctors make an assessment of somebody, they they just look at the layman that sits on the of couch course. and watches TV, not the not the athlete that that does this and he's prepared for it. And, um, so, you know, some 30, um, some odd years later, I was still doing it. I was, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Did, did you, did you ever talk about it with your brothers, Jody older than you or younger than you? older? So was, did you go in the business first or did he, um, he was, okay. He, was. he actually was trained more by Carl than, than I was. Um, he was, um, with Carl pretty much every single day for like two years. Mm. Yeah. Cause you had more of a, of a, when I say junior heavyweight, the only reason I say that is because you had more of a high-flying side to your work, mm-hmm. which Joe didn't have. As no, much. he was a lot more technical than I Right. Was. And I think that's why you were able to kind of transform and go from right. place to place because you had that style as well, maybe. Yeah, a little bit. A little more well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Who uh, who was it that, that put you together as a, as a team? Um, All Japan was more tag team based. Oh. You know, when you, when you look back and you look over, there's not a whole lot of single guys that went over there. Um, even even when Hanson was a single guy, he was still even a team with Spivey or, or Johnny Ace or any one of those Brody or, or Ted DiBiase. Um, so everything's tagged. I mean, everything's tagged. It was me, and my brother. It was um, Doug Furness and, uh, and our, our friend Danny Crawford. You had uh, you had uh, Steve Williams and uh, Gordy. You had um, uh, forget the names. Billy Black and Billy, Joel Deaton. Black and Joel Deaton. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, you had a lot of different tag teams. Bulldogs. The Bulldogs, yeah, of course. The classic match of the yeah. Lankos versus the Bulldogs. Yeah, Tiger Jet Singh and Abdul the Butcher. What a great tag team that was. <laughs> Holy mackerel. <laughs> Did you guys have to work with them? No, thank God. <laughs> I was going to say, what do you do no, with them? No, exactly. Well, one of the funny stories that, that Phil LaFont, a.k.a. Danny Crawford, loves to tell is that uh, we used to always open our mouths saying, you know, they never put us with Hanson or Spivey. And, of course, they never say never in the wrestling business. And we show up at a building one time in some town in Japan, and we look on the the, the 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 maid car that's always on the door in the dress room and we look at them can't find our names we look on top says Malenko brothers versus Hanson and Spivey wow and of course we looked around and say we opened our mouth because <laughs> those guys were I mean while well, Spivey legit was yeah six seven yeah, six he was eight very tall. and Hanson is you know a bull in a china shop yeah, I'll take his glasses off he's pretty much legally blind you can't see anything right no, I just said just don't hit the guy in the middle <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you're looking at me. Johnny Smith said that the, he finally figured out that whenever Hanson threw a clothesline, he would just jump in the air because yeah. he knew it would hit him in the chest. Yeah. If he did, if you, it would hit him in the face every time. Exactly. If you kind of help yourself and start to fall back before you get drilled, it kind of <laughs> takes away the pain a little bit. How was it working for uh, for Giant Baba? Obviously, legendary, legendary performer. Did you have a lot of relationship with him? 
Um, he was kind of like that silent boss. Everything was kind of really dumb. The, the wife kind of wore the pants in the family, mm. and uh, she was more dealings than any, any anybody else. I think I had maybe three conversations in the six years that I worked. Really? Yeah. And they were one time just smoke blown in my face <laughs> from a cigar. <laughs> uh, and then one time uh, me and my brother went to Hawaii and trained Kikuchi and Kobashi, who ended up being a huge star in Japan. Kobashi, one of the greatest of all and, time. Uh, so we went there for, for uh, two weeks to work with those guys and Baba was in his penthouse on the beach. We saw him like one day at a convertible just to accommodate his head coming out of the car <laughs> and gave us some, some spending money for the week. And that was, one again, probably one of the only really conversations that we had with the guy. But you knew, obviously, he respected you and appreciated your Yeah, your yeah. For, he brought you over. So. Yeah, well, we were getting, uh, getting ready to go on a tour, and he called and uh, through, through Lord Bleers is a gentleman that lives in Hawaii that worked uh, for the company for many years and kind of like a liaison between some of the talent. Called and said, Bob, would like for you to work out with, go to Hawaii, we'll pay, for, pay you for two weeks. And, of course, I had to think about it, and that took about a second. <laughs> Young, I want to go to the beach uh, to work out with, uh, I forget his real Japanese name, but it was Kikuchi and, and Kenta Kabashi. So when these were kind of, they were kind of younger boys? Yeah, they the were like 18, 19 years old. So what what was your job to train Kobashi? Just yeah, just kind of work out with him, you know. And then we worked out with him for like maybe three or four days. And then Bob said, "Take off, just enjoy the beach on me and have fun before you go to." Because we were leaving right from Hawaii, right to Japan. So it was it was a nice little downtime before we're busting our butts for. Did you know Kobashi was was going to be as good as he was? Because he's probably um, the, if not the greatest Japanese performer, top two or three for sure. Of all, he time. was really good at, at a really young age. Mm -hmm. You know. But the one thing I did see, and, and what happens to a lot of the guys there, is just the wear and tear of their bodies. Well, yeah. Just, you know, he, he became 40 years old, and he could barely do anything. We're just beating the shit yeah, out of each other, dropping not, each other in the heads. And yeah, because there's no, there's no, like, hiatus. I mean, it's not like here where guys, you know, it's a little less uh, over there. It's 100% all the time, and, you know, it was just nonstop. It's a very physical uh, type of work over there. Well, to the point that when, did you work at all with Misawa? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, what I heard is when he passed away in the ring, that basically he uh, he was decapitated with his head still on, like his mm. neck basically just broke right. from all the wear and tear, and it was right. just one bump too many. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's indicative of the work rate right. between those guys. Oh, of course, yeah, it, just the Japanese, guys, right? For sure. No, you guys wouldn't exactly go do yeah. that. And the mentality of Japanese culture is, you know, you don't say no. Mm -hmm. uh, failure is a big deal. Don't uh, show injury. Yeah, exactly. No. So you kind of bite your lip and you keep working. And sometimes you have to pay the price. A lot of guys have. When you, um, the classic match that we talked about that I, I watched on tape before I even met you because I'd always heard so much about Malenko's and Bulldogs. I mean, was that only a one-time thing? Uh, no. You, we wrestled them a couple times before, yeah, before okay. and after that. How'd you like working? I mean, that was always my favorite team when I was a kid. I just loved the British Bulldogs. Um, they're they're fun. They're both great guys. Um you know, Dynamite's a legend. He's mm -hmm. a legend. He's probably the reason why a lot of us, myself, you, and you know, I mean, the list goes on to guys even entering the in the business now at our, at our height, weight, and and kind of style that yeah. we do were the reason why we got in the business. Um, I learned a lot from from the small amount of time that I was with him over there. But he, he was, you know, he was at the towards the end of his career. It was his hips were really bad at that point, but he was still going, still chucking along, and you know, Davy was Davy. Strong mm -hmm. as an ox, and it was just both guys were very fun to work with and very giving. Thing about Davey too is he was as strong as ox and a big guy, but he started as a little guy, so yeah. he could he could he could yeah. move and 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 uh, I don't know if, uh, not high fly, but he could have that type of match when he when he was motivated right. when he wanted to. Yeah, 
there's a move and you know the short arm scissor and uh, I saw him uh, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do this but it was Shinji Takano which was probably he's about 6263 probably 260 and you know weight distribution of a human is a lot different than weight on a barbell and he leaned over in a short arm scissor and picked this guy up straight up like with no effort and it was pretty incredible that, yeah because you're basically just pulling from your lower back and basically one yeah. side of your body yeah. that's what short yeah. arm, and legs too yeah i mean he, i'd always do that with him, but that was a lot easier than picking up a guy at six two. Which <laughs> yeah. now, now the weight gets distributed all the way to a guy's heads. So yeah, again, it's a lot different than a barbell weight. How did you end up going from all Japan to New Japan? My brother was kind of at that point getting out of the business, and so I was now became a single performer. And New Japan was made it opposite from all Japan. Is New Japan was more about single guys and single, bigger guys too, uh, right? bigger guys, and they had more did more things with the cruiserweight division or junior. Junior heavyweight, light heavyweight, however you want to call it. Because mm-hmm. um, you had Liger as their mainstay. Then you had the guys underneath that. Uh, they did stuff. I mean, everybody even that went up to the rankings, guys like Hase and all those other guys were junior heavyweights at one time until they moved up the rankings. But then you had this like classic group of, of foreign guys. Yeah. All you guys came in at once, it seemed. like I'm sure it wasn't that quickly, but as a, as a faraway fan watching, one day yeah. I get a tape and there's... Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Wild Pegasus, a, a Tiger Matt or Black Tiger, Eddie right. Guerrero, and then you know Scorpio's there, and you got Pillman shows up there, yep. and you got like all of these Alex guys. Right. Alex Wright, <laughs> Alex Wonder Kid, shut up, Dean. Yeah, I know you are, but what am I? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, how was that for you? Because you're talking about being in all Japan, where it's uh, very much uh, based around the tag teams, and you're working with big guys and some of the guys that are kind of in your level, but as far as your work style, yeah. but you talking about British Bulldogs and working with Hanson and Spivey and Gordy. And then you go to this world where there's a bunch of guys that all work similar style to what you can do. That must've been like a whole new world. I just went to Disney world. Yeah. Basically as a, from a, from a kid's perspective. Right. Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome working with Chris and Eddie every night and then work with all these guys. And you know, Liger was always fun to work with. And, and Otani. Yeah. Otani was a young and upcoming guy. Uh, can't remember half the guys' names, but uh, yeah, it was uh, Kanemoto. I mean, that had just a, a list and uh, a great roster of a bunch of bunch of guys that could really go. So every night, every night was a challenge and it was fun. Did you have any uh, relationship with the Guerrero family? Was, you know, you're talking about Florida. I guess Gory was probably a little bit older than than Boris was. Um, Did they ever work together? They worked in the Carolinas. Really? Me and Eddie first started talking and. and uh, he mentioned that his dad mentioned my dad one time in a conversation many, many years ago. They were actually cross paths up in the up in the Carolinas when, when uh, Eddie's dad and my dad were working. So I thought that was pretty neat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you you have that in common being the second generation right. with Eddie right. and with a lot of guys. It was, it was something to the fact that they were talking about Eddie's dad, I guess, was having some, some issues being, being Mexican, working in the Carolinas. And my dad said something to the effect of, you know, you wear a sombrero, I wear a yarmulke. <laughs> Kind of like, a, <laughs> kind of like in the same boat, type of deal. You know, not that my dad ever played a Jewish character. Right. Like actually, the the ironic thing is, my dad played a German character, being a Jew. Wow, you're Mark right. Club, yeah. yeah, but only in the wrestling business, right? How did he come up with the name Malenko? Um, when you look back at that, and I've I've never actually asked Vince this, uh, Vince McMahon, but uh, supposedly, well, from what I've heard, is uh, Vince's dad actually came up with the name Malenko for Boris. Yeah, Boris worked for Vince's yes, for Vince Senior. Yes. Senior. yes. In New York, yeah, up in New York. So, did he ever do like a, a garden shows? Oh yeah, my dad. My dad worked. Uh, my dad started the same time night as Joe Scarpa, which was Chief J. Strongbow, right? Who ended up working down here and at Fort Hesley Armory as Joe Scarpa for many years down here. 
Really? And uh, yeah, the Italian Indian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My dad said he was part of the Wapaho tribe. <laughs> <laughs> Wapaho. <laughs> you, you see where I get my sense of humor? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, my dad worked a lot with uh, Bruno San Martino when Bruno first broke in the business, and a lot of guys. How high up in, on the card did he make it? In, uh, did he ever do any main events? In the Not really. Okay. Just kind of like he went as Larry Simon, how original. You know, <laughs> took, took his name, then it was like Larry Duggan, then it became Christian Duggan. I mean, you know, the process of the, the business trying to find yourself until it, until it came to uh, the Florida territory, then it became the Great Malenko. But Senior gave him the name of Malenko as yeah. like a yeah. German yeah. heel. Pretty much. Wow. Well, back then, well, Malenko was Russian. Okay, he Russian. He had the name of Otto von Krupp. <laughs> Which is another classic name. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many names you you occur. Well, hell, look at me, Stinko Malenko. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Dino Machino. Did you yeah. ever have any other name besides Dean Malenko? Uh, yeah, that's probably probably one of the best Dean Malenko, aka Dean Malenko stories was I was Dino Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's funny. Wherever territory, whatever city you went in, then my dad would have uh, uh, shows for his students. You know, if it was a prominent Hispanic crowd, we had more Spanish people on the card. And we had that night. It was pretty weak. So I look, look. I could have passed for some kind of Hispanic character, I guess, being dark hair, dark complexion at the time. So my dad called me Dino Sanchez. So as I was, <laughs> I was going to the ring, all these people are speaking Spanish, and I'm just like high fiving them, going C, C. <laughs> they could probably say derogatory things about me, and I'm just agreeing with them, saying C. But yeah, I was Dino Sanchez for one night. <laughs> one night only. Probably, probably not as good as my dad, who. Albuquerque, New Mexico, got to the building, and his name wasn't on the card, and they said, where's my name? And they pointed to it, and they named him Yussel the Muscle. No lie. What is that? Yeah, Yussel the Muscle. That was his name for the night in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yussel the Muscle. <laughs> yeah. The first night I ever went and worked for in Japan ever was, was for Onita FMW, and Lance and I went over as a team, and he was really upset. He goes, we're not even on the show. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's the first night of the show. And I looked through the card, and I found our names. The reason why I couldn't find it is it said, Kleiss and Runtz. <laughs> sound like two German guys. Kleiss and Runtz. Kleiss and Runtz. We were in the main event against Sonita. I was like, that's us. That's Chris and Lance. <laughs> yeah. Kleiss and Runtz. Well, you know how they tear, their, they tear your name up there anyway. How? Well, it's, it's more, it goes from Malenko to Marinko. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How, and so you talk about working. What were the differences between working in All Japan, New Japan as a company? Um, not that much difference. I mean, I, I felt, I think I felt a little more comfortable in New Japan only because Hattori was there at the time. He was taking care of me. And you knew him. And uh, Fujinami is a very close friend of our families. Um, so I, I felt a little more secure, I guess, in my job, knowing, knowing these guys uh, that were working in the office there. Mm -hmm. and probably just suited wise better for me overall, but I had a great experience working in all Japan made some great friends there and had a really good time for the five, six years that I was there. Because you're one of the few guys, well, not a few, but but there, there's, you know, there's probably more than a handful. But you had a strong run with both companies, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I was at the I was deal. at the latter part when um, I remember uh, Doc Steve Williams uh, was working for New Japan when um, he worked in one week worked for both companies because he finished out over there and then his contract got bought out by Baba's company. Back then, there was a working relationship between both companies. Really? So when Sakaguchi or who's ever headed at that time of Wazanoki would talk to Baba, so you had to have permission to jump jump ship, basically. So like when the Bulldogs were working for for uh, New Japan Company, Sakaguchi or Anoki would have to call Baba's company and say, "Listen, you know, are they free to work there? And if they do, you know, what are you going to pay them?" Type deal. So there was the, it was the working agreement from a financial standpoint and contracts. You know, guys like. Uh, mm -hmm. It was the Bulldogs. I think Gordy was part of that at one point. Definitely Hanson because Hanson worked for both companies. 
uh, Butcher for sure worked both both companies, probably Brody. But I mean, a lot of those guys. I mean, there was a, the, you had to get permission from one company to get to to jump ship to, to jump. So, oh, yeah. really? So I mean, they were they were allies, but at the same time, they were they worked together to make sure you know everything was done on the up and up. Now, when you went. Uh uh, were all Japan tours longer than the New Japan? Was they six weeks sometimes? A um, couple six weeks. New Japan was probably the longest I had was four. Mm-hmm. And the one summer, I think me and Eddie did like back to back to back to back. Did you just that, stay over there? Or did no, you no. Okay. no we didn't. Back, yeah. we didn't. How did you like uh, like basically living in Japan? I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. You know, you, you know you've been there. It's feast love or it. famine. Yeah. Either you love it or you hate it. Right. No, there's no middle ground. I never heard anybody say, well, I just put up with it. Mm-hmm. Because the culture, it's a culture shock, number one. If you don't like the food, you're kind of screwed. I mean, you can only eat Moss Burgers so many times. <laughs> you know, that's uh, a that's a burger that comes out of a vending machine, yeah, by the way, guys. Absolutely, Moss Burger, absolutely rotten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you kind of rent it. You don't buy it. Uh, yeah. if you know what I mean. <laughs> but, uh, it's a soy meat. Yeah, but that's uh, I loved it. I loved it because they respected you for what you did, mm-hmm. good or bad. And there was, you know, I was they looked at wrestling right up there with. You know, it was like a blue-collar crowd. Yeah. You know. They looked at wrestling like they would a football game or a yeah. hockey game here. Yeah. The results would be in the paper the next day. Extremely respectful. They are very educated uh, about holds and moves, and they, they kind of did their yeah. homework and knew what was going on. Studying the matches as you're yes. doing it. That's why it's very yes. quiet because they're yeah. watching everything you're doing. Yeah. And your style was perfect for that because they love the counter holds and holds, the whole oh, yeah. artistry of right. that. Yeah, you get the oohs and the ahs. Yeah. Know, but, uh, yeah, great place to work, and uh, it, it taught me a lot about the business. It was a great beginning for me great first step when traded for nothing because like i said as, as a guy a few years behind you guys that was always the the holy grail like if, if i could just make it to japan mm. i always wanted to go because of what was going on with new japan right specifically because you could see this and go all these guys are so good and they're working the exact style that i like and i want to go to japan so it was the same for me when i went there i wanted to i didn't ever have any problems being there although sometimes it's hard but whatever it's like i'd rather be oh, here yeah. than working you know in in rimby alberta you know two hours outside of calgary i don't oh, want to do sure. that I'd rather be working you know out here yeah i still say it's today and after being 15 years removed of the business from in-ring performing the greatest times and the best times i ever had in, in the business was working in japan for sure because I mean, not that I, you had not that i didn't enjoy no i got you to my tenure here in the states with three companies that i work for but definitely for sure in japan because of the freedom the freedom, the style, um, I could just go out and be me. I mm-hmm. don't have to worry about anything. You know, if I wanted to wrestle for five minutes, for six minutes, if it ended up being for 20 minutes, and, you know, yeah. and, and the respect of the audience you had every single night. Who uh, who was like, some of the really super popular gaijings when you were working over there between both companies? I mean, you talk about uh, Hanson. Like, yeah, Hanson, of course, being right. number one. Uh, Biggest, was, yeah, most popular? Hanson. Yeah. Wow. Just a huge star. I mean, I got to do several tours with uh, Dick Byers, the, the destroyer, who was a, one of the biggest first American guys that went over there, was working with Ricky Dozan. Ricky Dozan was one of the first big Japanese guys who under, was actually Korean. But uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, Dick Byers is a huge name there. Always wears his mask. Always wears his mask. No matter what. And if you saw him without it, you would know the reason why. <laughs> kind of like Parker. The first time I saw Parker without his mask on. Ugly. Remember I thought Parker meant horse face. <laughs> Actually, Remember he scared Bobby Eaton? Yeah, yeah. He's like, man, this guy's looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> He's looking. I'm yeah. scared of him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely Dick Byers, but probably way before Stan. But, but guys like Stan, Abdul the Butcher. I mean, any anybody that was totally different from the culture of Japan, Butcher was totally different. Mm, interesting. Was definitely different. Anybody, you know, that's why Brody was such a big star there, I believe. You know, of course, of course, they like guys like myself or guys that could wrestle, but they're also the, the other end of the spectrum was somebody that was totally different from the Japanese culture. Right. You know, Tiger Jet Singh was another guy who was a big name. 
Well, because you mentioned, yeah, it's it's a good point because Japan's a very much a conformist society, and is that everybody they do the same thing, they look the same way when they go to work, they're wearing the same clothes. Right. Somebody comes in right. and just being. I remember guys would go. I remember a couple times even me. Uh, I mean, the first time with FW, I saw Tarzan Goto punch a fan in the face. And the fan was like, got up like smiling. Oh my God, like hurting. Oh, yeah. Like I got punched in the face by Tarzan Goto. I was like, where the hell are we? You're allowed to do that? Yeah. You know, you can like run after people and they run away. They, they're scared. You know, I, I'd never seen anything like that before. Obviously in our country, fans would just look at you and give you the bird. But yeah, I saw, uh, believe I saw it. Davey Boy Smith and uh, Dynamite Kid having a lunch one day. And outside the window was an inter- intersection, and this, these two people get bothering for an autograph, and David was getting a little, little perturbed because he wanted to be left alone. He picked the guy up, walked outside the building, pressed him over his head, and threw him in the middle of a four-way intersection. <laughs> it, was, it was like, and I'm just sitting looking through the window going, I wonder if I'm working with him tonight. Yeah, right. I mean, that's borderline attempted murder. <laughs> Pretty much. Right? Pretty much. Yeah, Pretty I mean, much. that's what you can pretty but, much get. But, but the guy, a, the funny part to your point, the guy had a smile on his face. Yeah. He was pressed slammed by David Boy Smith. Would tell him mean, Asai, Ultima Dragon, would yeah. always talk about the time when uh, I think it was Tiger G Singh slapped him in the face yeah. when he was like 12. Yeah, and everyone in, and everyone in school thought I was yeah. so cool. A lot of sadistic people over there, <laughs> yeah. It that really hit me, beat me, yeah, yeah, smashed me in the face. Um, working, working over there, talking about the guys that you worked with. I mean, who did you enjoy working with the most over in Japan? No, like really favorite. I mean, I just part of the fun of working there too was it wasn't you know like here you might be on the loop with a guy and it's the same match every every night for mm-hmm. three nights or even for the month if you're kind of program with the guy over there it was it was the box of chocolates every night you never knew what you're going to get when you walked in the locker room hence <laughs> seeing the name of Hanson and Spivey right alongside the Malenko brothers yeah but um, every night was a challenge and, and that's part of the fun that I liked uh, I didn't like being complacent I liked always trying to use my mind and thinking different things and that's that was always fun about the Super Junior tournaments is that oh, yeah. every night you had a different guy, and you know it was the best of the best. You're always so good to work with too because you always had so many ideas. You know, you would just come in and say, "Let's do this, 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 and this," yeah. and they'd be okay. They're like oh, it was like easy. I always, I always try to study the business. I always try to do different things every time I worked. Probably that's where the man of a thousand holds kind of came into play. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if I knew I was working in Tampa, let's say, and I was back six months later, I kind of could remember the match. And try to do something different. Always, always to give the audience something different. Yeah, you're always the guy too. Like I always said, I, I should write down all because you always knew this is where the gym is in this town. Right. This is where the McDonald's is. This is what radio station you need to listen to. Right. This is where the tanning bed is, or whatever. Right. McDonald's in Japan because right. McDonald's in Japan is like an oasis. Oh, of course. But you were, you would remember all this stuff. Yeah. Like, how do you know when was yeah. the last time here? Oh, about a year and a half. Ago. My wife says I can't remember our anniversary, but I can, <laughs> I can remember stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It yeah. really is. You know. Did you ever show up uh, show up on, in New Japan one night? And like you mentioned, in, in all Japan one night, you had Hanson. Right. Did you ever go to, uh, you know, New Japan show up when you had Vader or had Muda? Or did you ever, did they keep you guys pretty much sequestered with the Yeah, I mean, there's a couple times I did like six mans with uh, Tony Holmes. And uh, there's another night with Lex, which was, was me, Chris, and Lex. Another <laughs> night it was uh, me, Lex, and Tony Holmes. And, and Tony Holmes had three moves. And <laughs> that was, uh, was the Ludwig Borga. Yeah, was Ludwig Borga. Yeah, yeah. And all three of them were not very well done. <laughs> and uh, he was trying to tell me, and Chris said, uh, for me to tag him in after we've already done our stuff, kind of make him the big star. So as he was in the middle of us and getting checked by the referee, I kind of like backed up a step and kind of looked at Chris and gave him the nod to walk out on the apron. And we kind of left, we kind of left Tony in the middle of the ring by himself and the bell rang. He looked back and like, thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> yeah, because he didn't have any yeah, spots no, planned. No, yeah. no, well, he only had three moves. And once he used that up, he was kind of <laughs> screwed. Yeah. yeah. 
So anytime that he was circled around our area, we kind of would just step down off the ring apron. <laughs> <laughs> like a heel angle, but you're doing it for real. Exactly. 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 <laughs> Things like that are fun that are kind of keep your sanity going while you're there for four weeks. Here's, here's a question just from a professional standpoint, because you, I never really, like, I worked with Benoit many, many, many times. I never really worked with Eddie too much. I mean, it did a little bit, but you worked extensively with both guys. Could you choose which guy you liked working with better? Well, obviously, they're different sides of the of the coin, but both of them are just tremendous performers, and you had great chemistry with both. Yeah. Common denominator about those guys is they love the business. Mm-hmm. They're very passionate about the business and going out there and giving 110% and having the best match on the card. But their styles were a little different. You know, uh, Chris was more of a hard nose, in-your-face, straightforward. Where Eddie can wrestle a little bit. Eddie actually had a little bit of an amateur background. Um, and Eddie was, I think, a little more versatile than, than Chris was. Not that Chris was a bad no, no, I can understand. Yeah. That's where they kind of, to me, is the, the major difference between both guys. I think I clicked better with Eddie. Not that I had bad matches with Chris, or, uh, but from a standpoint of either one of those guys, I think I clicked better with Eddie. First time we ever worked was a semifinal match in Osaka in the junior heavyweight tournament. Never worked with each other and went out there and just had a great match. Hmm. I think there was just, you know, you know, it's sometimes you can get in the ring with a guy and you just either have chemistry with him or you don't. Yeah. And some guys you think you might have a chemistry, like Juventud Guerrero is one guy I thought. Well, I had good matches with Ray, so I could have a good match with him. Uh, wrong answer. Really? Yeah, I just, I, we just interesting. Yeah, we just didn't click. And like for me, I, I had great yeah. matches with Hoovy, yeah. almost as many as I did with Ray. Yeah, so sometimes it's just you know it's like, what like, it is, and there's nothing, there's no answer for it. There's no way to really correct the problem. It's just, it's just, just the way it is. is. I never had good matches with Kanemoto. Yeah, ever. Right. And I, I <laughs> did you? No, not really. see, I talked to T.J. Wilson. He said he loved working with Kanemoto. Yeah. They always said, I could never crack the code with him. Right. You know. Right. And then some guys you look forward to, like the first time I worked with Dragon. So, mm-hmm. You know, I said, there, there's a guy that kind of, he's well, well, very well-rounded. Yeah, he was a great, great great worker. Yeah, I, had, worker. I loved working he with him. He could do it all. You yeah. Know, Mexican style, the Japanese style. He could Matt wrestle a little bit. Yeah. He was a little more, once again, the difference between Chris and Eddie was the difference between Asai uh, Dragon and Liger. Right. Was Liger was a little bit more hard-nosed, yep. and Asai was a little bit more... Um, I don't know, flamboyance the word, a little more graceful, mm-hmm. maybe, you know? Yeah. You can see the differences there. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, Eddie, Eddie was fun to work with. He really was. Yeah. Good chemistry with him. He uh, always, uh, he would, actually both those guys, if there was a mistake or something, they would take it very seriously and take it very to heart. Oh, almost almost to the point. Too much. Too much. Yeah. yeah. You know, Chris would Then you don't start enjoying the business, the fruits of your labor. Yeah, and that's part of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I went and saw the Stones last night, and during Happy, Keith Richards totally forgot what the hell he was doing. There was no idea what was going on. You could tell, like, it was a total train wreck, but it happens, and who cares? Right. If that happened, if you missed a spot or something with, with Chris, he'd go hide oh, yeah. in a, you know, dark corner, and yeah. Eddie would be so beating himself up, yeah. and it was my fault, it was my fault. I was like, who cares? The posture was bad enough, but it got even worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and only you would probably know what I'm talking about. That's exactly right, man, exactly yeah. right. Uh, last question, man. There's so much we could talk about, like I said, though, but but, but uh, we, can, we can save our experiences and kind of more of that for the next time. But what... Two questions. First of all, if you had to pick your favorite match from that era of working in Japan, is, does one pop in your head? Is there a couple that pop in your head? Well, one one night that was real interesting it was uh, the first time, second time they've ever done this was Brothers versus Brothers. I actually worked my brother for the junior heavyweight championship in Sapporo. How was that? And the only other time that ever happened was Terry worked Terry worked Dory. Oh, which was which was funny because then we did a tag tag tour. And it was Brothers versus Brothers Tour. So me and my brother got to work with Terry and Dory three weeks straight, every single night. <laughs> Malenko's versus Funks. Yeah, Malenko's versus Funks. Now, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. How were they to work with? Uh, 
They were. Uh, it was funny as a kid growing up and watching Dory Funk Jr. wrestle at the Fort Esley Army, watching him go an hour with Jack Briscoe and Gene Kaniski, and I used to watch that European uppercut, and I'd say, "God, he does that great." Until the first time I actually took it, and I'm saying, "Now I know why it looks so darn good <laughs> because it's uh, yeah, real. It's real." And my boot, my boots fell off my feet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- those guys were just. I mean, they were to the latter part of their career, but they were a lot of fun, especially working with Terry. He's he's all over the place, but he was a little more uh, rambunctious than Dory, right? Oh yeah, uh, and he. Uh, you know, anybody that's younger in the ring than him, he wanted to try to keep up with him, mm-hmm. which made it made, made it fun every night. He's I'll never forget when I saw him do his first moonsault in Knoxville, Tennessee, at a Smoky Mountain Wrestling show in '94. Mm. I was like, "There's no way," because he was like 50 then. I don't know how right. 55 or something. Right. There's no way he's going to do that. Come on, someone's going to stop him. And Room does this weird loping, strange praying oh, man, yeah. this moonsault. But it was like he didn't have to do that. He's Terry Funk. He's over. Right. But he did oh, it because sure. he wanted to push himself. Oh, of course. I thought that was pretty cool. Probably the answer to your question. I'd probably have to be the Bulldogs. Really? Yeah. Only because it was tag match of the year. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's it's not like things that are voted here, like Bill Lapter votes on it, who's been in the ring. Once. <laughs> yeah, Never. Yeah. And it's those. It was voted of, tag match of the year, like in the Japanese. Yeah, press? back in 1988. Wow. And um, and that's a big deal over there because again, everything's so respected and they look at things. Real no, it's real. It's like winning, oh, yeah. you know, the MVP of the NFL or something. It's oh, yeah. a real deal. And uh, and just working with those two guys and knowing their their backgrounds and the popularity that uh, Dynamite had all these years, working with Tiger Mask and 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 the you know where those guys have come from. So that was that was a that was a real fun night. And I was at Cork and Hall, which is a small building, as you know, but it's just there's just so much history there, and you know, so yeah, it's much like um, stories. You know, as as critically acclaimed as the ECW Arena would oh, be for here, sure. for example, you for know, sure. the, the Cork and Hall. Sure. And um, talking about uh, t- bringing it back to Tampa, such a huge tradition of all these great performers. Who's the most popular wrestler, do you think, in, in, in Florida championship wrestling history? It'd have to be Eddie and my dad. Because, really? Well, the 15-year feud. Yeah. Even, you know, um, you'd have to be around at that time, probably late 60s, all through the 70s. So a lot of the younger generation now wouldn't know who the, the great Malenko was. Right. Probably you were the last one to bring that up. Yeah. But... uh you know, anybody that's, everybody that's lived in this area for more than 30, 40 years that kind of grew up in Tampa, you say the great Malenko and they know exactly who it is right away. You know, back then those guys were, those were the stars. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, like I said, there was no football, there was no hockey. There was no yeah, everyone baseball. in town knew them. Yeah. And um, they were very recognizable. They were all over the place. And, uh, yeah, the Grand Malenko feud, you know, 15 years of long, long investment. Mm. So when can we see the? Uh, when do you think we're going to be able to see the the, the Hall of Fame wall? Uh, I'm not sure exactly when the building's going to be finished. I know they started on the the roof, and I think they said it's going to take a couple of years to. The, to okay, so this is going to be a long long yeah. process, yeah. right? Yeah, but, but I've seen the I've seen the draft of what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to really look look real nice. And there's there's a part of it that's a little little sad to me and my brother. You know, it's a place that we grew up with as kids, and you see it tore down, but. I think, you know, my dad died at a pretty young age. My, my kids never got the chance to meet my dad, so it's a great legacy to, mm, to see, see his that. name on a wall or his picture. Sure. And, and all the guys, for that matter, that, that would spend time here. And, and how much that building meant, like you mentioned, like, it was almost like the Sportatorium in Dallas. You always oh, had yeah. like a famous Sportatorium. Yep. Or even like the Hart House. It doesn't right. exist anymore. There's right. these local monuments that mean everything to yeah. a whole world of fans. Well, of course, what's well, the mom and pop shop? Yeah. You know, and they're all closing up, and everything's become corporate. And That's right. It's bigger, and... But once it comes up, it's going to be a destination, a tourist destination for all, all hardcore wrestling. Yeah, and some, well, and some for the everybody that grew up in Tampa, and, and, and you know, to be proud of. Sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
What's the, what did you say to Brian uh, Brian uh, Nobbs when he was wearing his uh, underwear that one time? <laughs> you remember? You uh, <laughs> said that's not a G string. That's the whole alphabet. That's the whole alphabet. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to D Malenko for the great conversation. Thanks to CC and Shashe. Make sure you check out their uh, their YouTube channel. And once again, I'm sure Dean and I need to do a, a second part talking all about WCW, and we will do that. But I want to thank him for being here. Thanks to you guys for downloading Talk is Jericho twice a week and supporting all my sponsors, including Amazon, who's been supporting this show since the very first episode. We're at episode, I think, 227, and they've been doing it since number one. Very cool. Amazon's the easiest way to support Talk is Jericho. Amazon's a great place for music. Get the new Anthrax album, For All Kings, uh, and go check out Beatles Bonatti. Charlie Bonatti and I talking about the Beatles. Or the new Megadeth record. Dystopia. That's uh, Dave Mustaine was on a few weeks ago talking about that. Who gets the biggest rock and roll guests? I do, and I want you to support my uh, friends, my guests, by using the Talk is Jericho links to pick up their records. Make that Amazon purchase. Go find my links. Go to podcastone.com. Click on the uh, Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. i got Amazon links for USA, UK, Canada, A. Every time you use them links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs. No extra fees or hidden charges. Just go buy whatever you want on Amazon, and don't forget, uh, tweet me a picture of what you buy on Amazon, and I will follow you back on Twitter and I'll uh, retweet it I'll get my Amazon warriors going take a picture of what you buy tweet it at talk is Jericho I will retweet it and follow you because you rock all right so thanks again to podcastone.com and uh, the killer deals button top right corner of the page hit the talk is Jericho button go buy some stuff on Amazon and all my sponsors are there too my amazing sponsors DDP yoga DDP Yoga Now app. Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Get three free months of the DDP Yoga Now app. Then there's nuts.com. Use my promo code Jericho to get four free samples. DraftKings.com. Use my promo code Y2J to play for free. Geico. So many others. I appreciate you listening today. Keep listening for the 60-second news update. AP News headlines coming up next. Uh, Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And we'll see you next Wednesday for uh, the return of... uh, I know you guys are always excited to hear my paranormal shows i went all the way to the pacific northwest portland oregon to talk to wes germer who has the number one podcast one of the authorities on sasquatches and unidentified uh, creatures in the pacific northwest his show is called the sasquatch chronicles like i said it's one of the biggest shows in the world today discussing all things bigfoot sasquatch yetis he had an encounter uh, with his brother Woody that set off this amazing chain of events and what a story he has Wes Germer from the Sasquatch Chronicles will be here on Wednesday back in the paranormal world I know you guys are digging that we'll see you then stay hard stay hungry stay cool be safe peace love and hugs and a big yeah boy you can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com that's podcastone.com